open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. We're continuing our, on our series through this book. We are in chapter 4. Uh, last night, we didn't have three of our boys with us. We just had the two little ones. And so everything was going a lot smoother than it normally goes. Chaos always breaking out. And I get, get to do these slides, and it goes really quick, and I can't figure out why. And then this morning, as we're about to get here, I realized I didn't put in the sermon slides. So we're the ages leaving on this page through the sermon and then skip ahead at the end. Uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. We're going to see three things as he really gets into this new section of the book. First, we're going to see that we must seek to be properly prepared. And basically what he's talking about is that we must align ourselves with the mind of Christ. We have to be have the same mindset of suffering that Christ had of suffering on earth. We have to have the same, the same quality as we, as we go forward with it because we are aligned with him in his, in his death and his resurrection. So too must we be aligned with him in the mindset as we face this world. The second thing we're going to see is we must seek to live a life of proper posture. That means that we should be turning from our old way of life, our old sins, the same things that we've struggled with day after day, week after week, month after month, should be being put to death in us. The text says that time has passed, there's been enough time passed since uh, that you've lived as the Gentiles lived. And the third thing we're going to see is the third thing we're going to see is that we must have the proper focus on the prize. What that means is that we need to be focused on what comes after, what has been won for us in Christ. The ultimate reward is we have some of it now, but it's fully realized at the return of Christ. Stand with me, with me as we honor the reading of God's word. I hope you have your Bibles open. We're looking at. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 through 6. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to these, to this, they are surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go in prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a good God that watches over us, that loves us, and that keeps us according to your will. Father, I pray that as we, as we go forward into this sermon, that you would prepare our minds and our hearts to have the mind of Christ. To allow our, our, our manner of living be patterned after Christ. That he would be glorified through it all. It's in your precious son's name I pray. Amen. Good soon. 
So the first thing we're going to see is that we must seek to be properly prepared. Look at verse 1. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh. Now, one of the things that really is frustrating about the, uh, the, where these chapters and verses are is that sometimes they're in the wrong spot. <laughs> they, the, the chapters and verses are not inspired by God. They were added later. And anytime you start a chapter with therefore, you have to know, you have to ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore, right? And so really, this, the chapter 3 should go all the way down to verse 6. But that's okay. That's just my little pet peeve that I, I have adopted through the years. So, since, therefore, what are we talking about? Going back to the reality that Christ is supremely in authority over everything. Uh, he's in authority over the powers and, and the angels and the authorities. Uh, they're all been made subject to him because he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty because in his resurrection he, he ascended to be at his right side. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Now, we, we were familiar more so with Paul's rendition of this. So Paul's rendition of the armor of God. It says in, uh, in chapter 6, verses 10 and 11, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of, of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, they had different purposes, though they had some similarities. Paul's purpose was the, the overarching one against spiritual persecution. Peter's purpose here is one against physical persecution. It's against the persecution of those around him. Remember, going all the way back to chapter 2, we saw that we are to be submissive to authority. Submissive at work, submissive in the home. And why? Because in each of those spheres, those spheres of authority, there will come persecution at times. And so he's saying, as you approach this, this persecution for living as Christ lives, make sure you're arming yourself. You're, you're putting on defensive and offensive weapons of the mind of Christ. So we have to ask, how do we get the mind of Christ? How do we get the mind of Christ? Well, it's, there's really one primary way, but it's kind of divided up into two. The first and foremost is reading the Word of God. The Word of God is where we have the mind of Christ. The only thing we know about Jesus is found in Scripture. And in fact, if anything we think we know about Jesus outside of Scripture can and usually is flawed because it's usually of our own making. But, as I've said many times, there are people that know the scriptures better than me or anyone in this room that can't, don't apply them properly and don't truly know Jesus. Why? There's, the, there's, there's, there's scholars at the Harvard and Yale Divinity School that know this like the back of their hand, but they don't believe it. They don't have the Holy Spirit living in them, helping them. And so directly, directly followed by reading this, we can read this, but if we're just reading it for knowledge, we're failing. We have to read this, but we also have to pray that the Holy Spirit will change our hearts and change our minds so that we can apply it to ourselves. So, Scripture and prayer. It's basic, but it's ever so needed. When we open the Word, we must pray that it is the Spirit working through us and speaking to our hearts that we would know Him.
So that's how we have the mind of Christ. How will, we, how will having the mind of Christ help you in your suffering? Well, to answer that, we really have to ask, how did Christ approach suffering? Go back to, go back to um, Luke, and we can, we can look at that in John, Matthew, Mark. John s- says this. John says this, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations, suffering, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. So he says, yes, you're going to have suffering, but in me you can have peace, because I have already overcome your sufferings for you. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 38, says this, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me, is not worth of me. Now, we have to answer, what is taking up the cross? We're, when I was growing up, we, I was in the Presbyterian church, and it was real, real normal to wear a little cross or necklace. That's what I thought taking up your cross was. We got to wear a cross, a symbol that I belonged with these people. The cross was the, the means of death for Jesus. It was a means of the most gruesome death that could ever come. So when Jesus tells us to take up our cross and follow, he's saying, take up your life. Because as you follow me, your life is gone. And the the new life that you have is all you have left. Take up your cross. Take up that which is going to kill you. That's what he's saying. And the text goes on. It says, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, when we take up our cross, we're saying that our old life is gone and done and done away with. Our, our old life is crucified. We've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Right? We, we have to have this mindset, the same one that Christ did, to arm ourselves to face suffering in the same manner in which Christ faced it. So let's look, let's look towards the end of his life. As we went through Luke, we saw this, but let's look to the end of his life and see exactly how he, he suffered. When he, was with the, the, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, 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 Sesame, but anyways, Gethsemane, he, he was on his knees praying and drops of blood was falling from his face and he was praying to God, unleashing his spirit to him, saying, let this cup pass from me. Well, what was in the cup? What was he actually praying there? Do you remember? He was praying that the the, the wrath of God would not be poured out upon him if there's any other way. If there's any other way, he said, let the wrath of God pass. And then he followed it up. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And then, from the, as, so he, he goes through that, he comes out, he sees his, his, all his disciples sleeping, he, he gets taken, the prisoner, taken out to the, this, this gar, the garden, this courtyard, and is most faithful, quote-unquote, by, by his own means, who's the one who actually wrote this book, comes there. He's the only one who comes there. And this, quote-unquote, faithful disciple... Warms his hand while Jesus is being beat. And then a servant girl sees him and says, aren't you with one of them? Aren't you a Galilean? He says, no, I do not know this man. You see, you see Christ suffered greater than we could ever imagine. And yet, when he gets to the cross, what's one of the sayings from the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
may we approach our suffering in the same mindset of Christ. May we approach it saying, God, if it's possible, take this from me. I don't want it, but I want your will. And if this is your will, then I will take it. And when we come, when the suffering comes, when we're persecuted, wherever we're persecuted at, may we have the mind of Christ to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the mind of Christ in suffering. But the text goes on to another hard saying, as Peter likes to put, throw in here. It says, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So the question is, how have we ceased from sin? The answer is, there's a couple different options. I don't really know. But I can tell you what it doesn't mean. First of all, what it doesn't mean, 1 John chapter 1, uh, verse 8 and 10 says this. If you say you have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you say we, uh, we, have, we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So it cannot be saying that we are right now, today, in the eyes of the world, sinless. In, the eyes, in our own eyes, sinless. In fact, Romans 6, uh, verses 1 through 4 says this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died still uh, died to sin still live in it? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So what does it mean that we've ceased from sin? Really, we have two options here. The first option is where Peter is looking at it from the perspective of God. Justification. Justification. If you don't remember anything about me two years from now, ten years from now, twenty years from now, remember this saying. Remember that justification means just as I, just, and he looks at me just as if I have never sinned and just as if I always obeyed. It's a big, massive truth about God, how he views us in Christ right now. He views us as if we are sinless, as if we have ceased from sin. That could be an option. Or he could be saying that the trajectory of our life is to be increasingly sinning less. Not that we ever get sinless on this side of of creation, on this side of heaven, but today I sin less than I did yesterday. And so on and so on and so forth. Right. So what, what this could be saying is that we are increasingly sinning less. I tend to view it as the first one, as this is, this is God's perspective of us from heaven, because when he looks at you, he doesn't see you. He doesn't see Jensen and Garney. He doesn't see Harvey and Dawn. He sees Christ, because Christ's blood has washed you clean. So those who are in Christ have ceased from sin in that you will not pay for your sins. You will not have to pay for them because they have been paid once for all. We need to remember that as we struggle through 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 our life and through this, that this is Peter's point, that, that, that there is nothing in the world that can that can persecute us so much that can take us out of Christ's hands. 
Right? In the book of Romans it says, what can then therefore can take us from the, the love of God from persecution or famine or wrath or sword or nakedness? No. None of these things can take us because Christ has made us whole. Skip ahead to verse 2. Verse 2. So, as to the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And this is this is what, where, where we would get this idea that we are increasingly less, we see uh, our life as increasingly less sin in it. Because he's talking about the rest of our life, we, we are longing for, for the will of God. So what does it mean to be a Christian? What it means to be a Christian is that you love the things that Christ loves and hate the things that Christ hates. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are completely sinless. In fact, it necessarily means you're not completely sinless, right? We are sinful. But what it means is that our love, our desires, our hopes are aligned with God. And every single day, they get more and more aligned that way. So what, what happens? What would happen if we, if we individually and as a church truly sought in our everyday to align ourselves with Christ. What would happen if we truly sought, as we were going through our lives, as we were doing the things we do, we asked ourselves, does this align with the will of God? Is it the will of God that we go here, or we work here, or we do this? Is it the will of God that we have this hobby? Is how is it the will of God that this hobby can glorify Him? What would our lives look like if we asked that question on a daily basis? What would it look like if every morning for the next week, I'm not going to make you commit longer than that because I want you to actually commit. What would it look like if every morning for the next week you got up and prayed, God, I want the will of God to be done in my life today. What would that look like? It would look like us coming together and aligning ourselves with Christ more and more. Now, it's not saying necessarily that our hobbies have to change. But what he's saying is that, that the way that we do our hobbies might have to change. How can the things that we love doing seek to glorify God? How can our jobs, our families, seek to glorify God? Let's look at the second point. Second point, verse 3 through 5 says, is this. We must seek to live a life of proper posture. A life of proper posture. Verse 3 says this. For the time that is past suffices... For doing what the Gentiles do. What does that mean? It means that in this new life that you're walking in the flesh, verse 2, that you no longer have the passions that the Gentiles have, that those who are not in Christ have. It means that when we come to Christ, we are new creation. And as new creation, our, all of what we are and what we want and what we desire have changed. And then he gives a list. He gives a list of things that are of the flesh. And I'm going to actually go through a couple different lists that are given that are very similar. So this is Peter's list. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatries. Well, we have another list from Paul. Paul in Galatians 5 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. A lot of similar things. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissension, divisions, envies, drunkenness, orgies, same as before. And the things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I, I want you to see that this one in Paul's list is actually given in, in contrast to the fruit of the Spirit. So the fruit of the flesh are these things that you once maybe loved, that you once walked in, that you must used to do and not think anything of it. What are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, what he's saying is that, that our life, even if the actual, the actual uh, mechanics of our life doesn't change that much. We, we were saved, we go to school before we before, now we still go to school after we're saved, right? But what's going to change about you going to school? You're going to go to school and desire to see Christ glorified. Desire to see your friends come to Christ. You're going to desire to, to, to lift him up in your sphere of influence. I remember when I first came to Christ, and I've told you this story before, but that's okay. I'm up here, you can listen to me. <laughs> when I first came to Christ, I, I came home and I had these two friends in particular that were really close with me. I had uh, my friend Alex, who's Italian Jehovah Witness, and I had my friend Taylor, who was half Mexican, half Jew, Jewish, uh, Israeli Jew. And then you had me, the big brown agnostic. We, we were a joke waiting to happen, right? Three guys walk into a bar. Sorry, that was fun. <laughs> uh, but I go back to them, and I, I'm talking to them, and I, my, I'm not necessarily right away telling them the gospel, because I didn't really know all that much at that point. All I know is that God had done a work in me. And so I go to them, and I'm talking to them, and they sit, one of them looks at me and says, Jensen, what are you doing? Why are you acting this way? You're acting so different. You're not saying the things you used to say. You're not talking the, the way you used to talk. And so I told them, I said, it because I, I had an experience with God. I want to glorify Him. Right there is evidence of salvation. That you have a desire to glorify God. Even when you fail, and Lord knows I failed at it, but we must have a desire to glorify God and not man. Jesus gave us, gave us a very similar one. He says, for, for from within our heart, out, for out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. From within, talking about the flesh. The natural man. It is natural to, to lean to these things. It is unnatural, unnatural rather, to lean towards the fruit of the Spirit. And what, what Peter is telling us here is that the time that is past, I don't care if you came to Christ when you were 5 or 55, the time past is sufficient. It suffices to, to, to live that way. Now that you are a new Christian, you will live for Christ. And that is going to be these, these, these Christians that Peter's writing who's hope. Because they, they, them living for Christ, they're going to see that they have the same victory that Christ has. I want you to see that. Look at verse 4. With respect to this, what, what we're talking about with respect to that list of immorality, they are surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they will malign you. Well, let me ask this. What's your witness? If, 
If you say you're a Christian, but you're gonna, you go and you to the same drinking parties, you go and live the same manner that you lived beforehand. Where is the evidence of Christ in you? That's the question that this poses for us today. If, if we are going to, to, to come to Christ, it means a life-altering change. If, if you look at a, 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 a caterpillar, and you see the caterpillar a week later when it's turned into a butterfly, do you even recognize it? No. It's completely renewed. It's completely made different. Beloved, that is what it looks like to become a Christian. Your life changes, and the primary way it changes is in your desire to go to with Christ on these things. And so we have to see here that it's okay for them to malign us when we don't join in the same sort of things that they do. It's okay for us not to join in and going to bars and getting drunk. I would even say it's okay. Uh, probably going to get step in it right now, but that's okay. Notice it says drunkenness, drinking parties. The idea here is the act of getting fully drunk. Well, the the problem is, is that if we are if we are willing to even drink around people that struggle with alcohol, we are sin. We're walking in the same way. If we're willing to, to, to go into any of these different things and close our eyes, say, not a big deal, not witness for Christ, we're sinning. Plain and simple. So the question is, what is your witness? And have you changed? I want you to think about that. I can't tell that to any of you. I've known y'all for four years. <laughs> right? Y'all have known yourselves as Christians for a long time and as non-Christians for a long time. Look at your life. Have you changed? And more importantly than that, we're going to be looking at that even more in depth next week. So there's going to be, next week we're going to have a little bit more depth of this. So please come back. <laughs> Don't run away. But are you changing day to day, week to week, month to month? Are you growing to be closer with Christ? And if not, how can we change? We're going to be looking at that next week. But, here's, here's the reason why it doesn't matter that they attack you. They're giving an account to him, not you. Just like you <clears throat> give an account to him, not them. But, they give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. See, the, Peter's main point here is that how we are treated on this side of heaven doesn't ultimately matter. If you lose Friends, if you lose jobs, if you lose family, Peter's point is that it doesn't ultimately matter because everything on this side of heaven one day will be gone anyways. And the only thing that will last, as Jesus said, we need to store up our treasures where, where moth and rust doesn't destroy. The only thing that truly matters is what will happen on that day that Jesus comes to judge. The living and the dead. Beloved, it is not some gimmicky pastor saying it is the truth. If you do not have him as Lord now, you will have him as judge one day. Turn your life to Christ and arm yourselves with the mind of Christ, with, with eyes always focused on the eternal on our eternal lives rather than our temporal life. So we're to pattern our mindset in suffering after him. 
We're going to make sure that we have a proper posture in our life. We're living what we say. And finally, the thing we're going to see as we get to our get to the close is we must seek to be focused on the proper prize. The proper prize. Verse 6. For this is why. So every time you see a four, you guys see, see what it's there for, remember? Because all will stand before a holy God and give an account. That's why. So for this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead. Now Peter really likes to throw in things that are just hard to deal with. As we go through this, you probably noticed that, especially last week when everyone left confused. But this week, he even he says another thing that's a little weird. The gospel is preached even to those who are dead. What's he talking about here? Is he talking about a second chance for, for people who died? No, I don't think so. This time, last week it was, there was he proclaimed, this week it's actually preached the gospel, evangelion. So what's he talking about? Well, the NIV inserts a word here that is actually uh, used, is help, helping translate it. It's helping put it into our, uh, give us a meaning. It's not in the original text, but it helps. And I think he's, it's right. It says, those who are now dead. So what he's saying is that there are people that are looking at you and saying, you're going to die anyways. What's the point of living for Christ? That's what they're saying. That's what Peter is saying here. He's saying, that's why it was preached even those who are still dying. You're going to die anyways. I, I used to go visit with a gentleman that we would get into gospel conversations and he, we would talk and talk and talk and he would say... You know, I, I went to church for years. And I just asked God for this one thing that my wife wouldn't die. And she, she died. So that's why I've walked away from the faith. That's why I don't believe. If we think that we are going to come to Christ because of what we get... You better check your salvation. It's a hard statement. Work Peter, Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's all I'm telling you to do. We don't come to Christ because of what we get. We come to Christ because of who he is. And we allow our life, our mindset, to align with him. Even when we don't like it. So even to those who are dead, so he, what he's saying is he's saying that some of the people that, that Peter had preached to as he was going on missionary journeys had already died. But it doesn't matter. Because now they're with heaven. They're in heaven, right? They're with Christ. The text continues that though judged in the flesh, they died the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Praise God. Hallelujah. We get to be with Christ. Christ has won our victory. Revelation says that, dead, where, uh, that he, on that day he will wipe away every tear from our, their eyes. And death shall be no more. That there, there, there shall be, that neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That is what they get. That is what we get when we die. Though we don't have a, a necessarily a, a full-on victory here, it's fully realized as we get to be with Christ. You can't preach it away. <laughs> um, 
Sorry. Our prize is not a life that is on this side of heaven, or it's not life on this side of heaven, free of sin, free of trouble, or free of suffering. In fact, we are promised all, all those things would actually happen. We will have trouble. We will suffer. We will have sin. Our prize is that when we face our Lord, He will render the verdict not guilty. Paul, clean on all who, who belong to Christ. Beloved, on that day we are told specifically that He will be our Lord. We will live with Him for all of eternity. Hallelujah, praise God. If you are here today and you have not set your life aside and come to Christ, if he is not yours, if he, you have not, not just coming forward and praying a prayer or getting baptized or whatever, if, if, if you have not surrendered to him as Lord, today is the day. Not tomorrow. We don't, we're not promised tomorrow. We need him today. We're going to, in a moment, be coming forward for, to serve communion as we, as we focus on the remembrance of what he has done for us. And what he's done for us is he has, he has stood in our place so that we could have him. We must continuously seek to have the mind of Christ day after day after day. That means getting up and reading your Bible daily. It's, a, it's important it's the word of God, and, and, and you go to, to places like Psalm 1, and it says that the, the, the righteous meditate on his word day and night. We must seek to be that person that, that grows in that way. We must seek to live a life that is honoring Christ. That means not just saying that we're Christian, not just coming to church, but living a life that is pointing to him in our actions and our words. And finally, we must remember that our reward our true reward is still ahead of us. Praise God. Let's go, Lord, and pray. Father, I, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are the God that has gone before us, that is the God that has called us to himself, the God that has helped us seek your glory. I thank you that you are the one that has won our salvation. I pray that as we come to you, that your name would be magnified and your, your gospel would be glorified. As we remember what you have done on the cross, as we remember what has been done in the resurrection, we wait for that day. In your precious son's name I pray. Amen.